welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Raw here at Bunkerzilla UK, your place for where we devour all the latest movie news and reviews. I'm your host, Ian Bolton, and I'm joined as always by my cinematic partner in crime. It is Christian R. Allen. Hello, Christian. Good morning. Good morning. Good motto to you, good sir. How are you doing? Um, pretty bummed out about how dreadful Artemis Fowl is, but um, if, you, if you're up for it, I'm happy to discuss that at great length. Some yes. point during this podcast, it's it's almost like it's the main review of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 the worst thing that's happened to me in a while. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, my friend. Yeah, well, we will touch we will touch on Artemis Fowl a little bit later. So that's a, a slight spoiler alert. It's not going to it's not going to end well. Um, but anyway, <laughs> how are you generally? Um, to cleanse the uh, to cleanse myself of that dumpster fire of a movie i just uh, i bought the new 4k release of jaws the 45th anniversary edition um 45 seems a bit of an odd arbitrary year i'd imagine they were planning to release this on 4k anyway and they realized it was 45 years old they just slapped that on the box there'll be there'll be another version there'll be another version in a few years time for the 50th anniversary oh not, not the 48th anniversary yeah is it really 45 years old yeah 1975 it was um, obviously the um, cinema was saved in the seventies by two, the two first true blockbusters that being Jaws in seventy five, and then Lucas with Star Wars two years later. Um, I don't think people appreciate the impact those mm. films had. I mean, if it wasn't for Jaws, we would not have an MCU. Mm. Um, we'd barely have a cinema. For, <laughs> well, you never know. But um, I mean, cinemas were definitely dying, but towards this period, and in, in, um, it's certainly in the states. Um, the only downside is, although the film is amazing, I do feel bad for all the sharks who have been needlessly murdered because <laughs> they they don't really pose that much of a threat to humans, to be honest. Mm. I, I I remember I've seen I have seen Jaws. I've seen bits and pieces of Jaws. I just I you've never sat down and given it like a whole viewing like or? like a pro, like a proper viewing. No, I haven't. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the great thing about Jaws and any good monster movie. It's not about the monster per se. It's about the, the people around. The, the true villain of Jaws is not the shark. Mm. Um, it, it's the it's the corrupt politicians. It's the mayor. It's the mayor uh, of, Amity, of um, Is it Amityville or Amityville? Um, Am- Amity, is Amity, I believe. Um, Amity, not Amityville. That's a horror series. Yes, that's it's slightly different. I mean, Amityville would be even scarier if the Jaws shark was thrown in there as well. Yeah, just, just flailing just, around. You just, just open like... the door to a hallway from the bedroom and it's just like, hello, I am Jaws, I am flopping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are five minutes into this podcast and we're definitely flopping, my friend. Oh. But, like... <laughs> but um, no, no, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 um, it's interesting that the parallels between the way the politicians deal with the Jaws pandemic and and say the reality of COVID nineteen and the way that some some politicians are being criticised for certain um, uh, for certain approaches towards the uh, uh, pandemic is um, yeah I found the parallels quite amusing you know people don't change unfortunately it's always a, <laughs> it's always the economic interests seem to take priority over the lives of poor little children being eaten by the giant bloodthirsty shark. Mm. Um, the special effects are incredible, but um, if, you, if, you know, if you're familiar with the, the nightmare they had trying yeah. to produce this film, apparently the, the shark looks atrocious. And so the, 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 uh, having the shark hidden for most of the movie and relying on the John Williams score, that iconic, um, makes the, the film so much better than if mm. it was just you kept seeing this giant robot shark. 
Um, is it? Is there a documentary or a book that's saying the shark is still working or the shark isn't working? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think the shark worked particularly well at all, and that's why Spielberg, <laughs> bless him, had to resort to just as much uh, camera trickery as possible. I mean, it's very much similar to um, the success of Alien. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, a few years later, like you, you don't realise just how little of the Alien there is an alien for a film called alien it should really be called close up on ripley just uh it's just um which is the whole point i mean it's it uses your imagination what you what you concoct in your mind it'll always be more terrifying than the reality of just this random actor in a rubber suit Mm. um that's why that's why i very much like james cameron's approach to the sequel it's like well what can i do oh let's throw Thousands of them had <laughs> turned them into a swarm of ants. <laughs> so, like, you kind of imagine they were just sat in the writer's room, or James Cameron was just sat in his study, just had the word alien and in brackets underneath sequel, and he just took out a big red marker pen and just added the letter S to the end and went <laughs> sold. What? Here's $100 million. I, I've never, I've, the only alien movie I haven't seen, a bit of a tangent from Jaws, so just go back to that. Buy the 4K. The restoration is incredible, it looks amazing. And um, yeah, it's, it's it, the film works so well because of the humans, and the people, and um, some of the some of the um, some of the interactions between the, the the shark hunters towards the end of the film is is more entertaining than any of the shark deaths, to be honest. So I do, I do recommend it. In fact, if you do want to borrow my four K, like let me know. Mm-hmm. Will do. Um, um, You're going off yeah. on a tangent about aliens. About aliens. That's right. Thank you. The only alien movie I haven't seen is Alien Resurrection. Oh, the one that I think is partially penned by Josh Whedon? Or penned by Josh really? Whedon and directed by the director of Amelie. He is the director of Amelie. Um, and um, oh, what's his name? Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Jeanette. Yeah, Jean-Pierre um, Jeanette. And yes, definitely written by Josh Whedon. Oh, wow. So he was, he was doing a lot of work in the 90s. It's, uh, no, no, apparently it's not just Josh Whedon writing. It's Dan O'Bannon and Ronald uh, Suset. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not entirely sure what their credits are. But I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, especially his work, um, his earlier work. I, I loved Amelie and I loved um, City of Lost Children. Have you ever seen that? I think I recommended that. Recommended that. A few we, weeks yeah, ago, I think yeah. Yeah, it's it's come and, up on the show. I think. Yeah, and Delicatessen as well. I was um, just looking. I was just looking at the cast for Alien Resurrection. Yeah, no, Renaud Ryder, uh, Ron Perlman was in it. Michael Wincott was in it. Dan Hyada, Brad, uh, Brad Dourif was in it as well. So there was there was a generally nice little cast behind this fourth alien film but then it was just kind of yeah you would recommend <laughs> um it it was a weird it was kind of a thing that kind of retconned ev- the kind of like the ending of alien 3 and it was kind of like i kind of, I, I found the, the the opening to alien 3 is one of the worst sidesteps in any franchise well, you the, know, um, it, well, just, you, it, it totally invalidates the success of aliens well, you know all about, um, you know, do you know, obviously, about David Fincher was originally the director, uh, got got kind of thrown out uh, towards uh, towards the end of um, the production. Really? Um, and then basically the version that that arrived in cinemas was like a was like a ba- uh, like a just a, produce, a Hollywood edit just to try and save the film. And on the um, I think it's on any of the big alien box sets you can get now, you should be able to watch the work print cut of the film as well which oh, was cool. which is kind of like the closest you'll get to fincher's idea of the film but you'll you'll never get that proper director's cut because fincher fincher has distanced himself from the film but um it's, it's very much similar to um you never know i mean like I, i'm amazed that we got the richard donner cut of uh, superman 2 
Because mm. um, I, I adore the first Superman movie, and it always pains me that they never allowed Donna to actually, you know, finish the film because it's a, it's half a movie. Has that? Can you think of any studio like producer um, edit of a of a major release that being good? That's a good question. Oh, thank you. I, I, I just I'm not I'm I'm not being facetious to make no, a point. No, I, I no, genuinely I'm... can't think of. Um, no, I really can't. No, no, because basically all the all the director's cuts that kind of come in, or the director's cuts that arrive, do do to a degree seem to be better or kind yeah, of seem not necessarily coher- perfect. No, but, but um, more coherent. More coherent yeah. is the word. Um, I've, I've, I've been I've been recommended the um there's as a as an edit of Highlander two called the Renegade cut. Oh, Renegade yes. cut. Sorry, which is um the original director's intent because um I love the first Highlander movie. I mean it is it is nonsense. I mean <laughs> I wouldn't recommend people. Go, I, I've never I've never accuse Highlander of being a cinematic masterpiece, but I love it. Um, but the second one is just um is beyond absurd. I think it's 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 the classic um. It wasn't entirely sure what it was doing because the Highlanders, Highlanders, a film that's felt more supernatural. Yeah, Highlanders, uh, Highlander two. Sorry, not Highlanders. I'm thinking Alien Aliens. Um, Highlander two. <laughs> Highlanders <laughs> by James place, Cameron. They're all over the place, McLeod. They're all over the place. <laughs> oh no, there are hundreds of thousands of Highlanders. All of them looking like Sean Connery with a non-Spanish accent. No, they look like Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Many. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, know, know. you know, you know, yeah. Mr. Krabs plays the Kurgan. Yeah, I'm um, Highlander. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, I'm just imagining SpongeBob. Money. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna open the Krabby Petty. <laughs> oh God! Imagine replacing. If you could replace any character in a major movie with SpongeBob, like, <laughs> imagine replacing Tom Cruise with SpongeBob in a Mission Impossible movie. Like, just how delightful would that be? We don't need to be enemies. As always, imagination. And then it gets shot in the head and a nuclear bomb goes off two hours later. And that is the end of Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> Spoiler. Not, not, not the actual ending. Not the <laughs> actual ending. I loved Fallout. The ending is half an hour too long, but I, 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 I loved every second of it regardless. It's basically, it earned its length. That's basically what <laughs> yes. it is. Some films earn their lengths. Some films don't. A.K.A. Some... Last Days of American Crime, last episode. A.K.A. <laughs> Artemis Fowl. 80 minutes is too long. Yeah, so what have I watched recently? Um, I um I watched uh, Skyfall on 4K. Ooh, what are the what are the 4Ks like? Um, the first two are kind of like a decent sort of two 2K upscale, which are quite nice. Not not great, but um, I remember Quantum of Solid. I didn't remember Quantum of Solid looking as nice as it did. It was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And I, so, I, I actually, and I I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. But rewatching Quantum of Solace, I actually didn't mind it. It's like I always kind of thought, mm, not really worth watching half the time. But I watched it. And it's kind of like there are, there are generally good bits in Quantum of Solace. It's just a shame that the writers' strike happened at the same time because I kind it, it I kind of can only think about what would have happened if they were able to have Paul Haggis still writing on the script and so forth while they were doing when they were doing the film because because of the writers' strike, it was Mark Foster and Daniel Craig were the only ones who were able to do stuff of the script because i think of um i think because of guild rules and stuff like that yeah that is true they couldn't have any other writers come and look at the script and and touch it up or do anything so yeah you've got foster and craig just trying their hardest i think foster was away was preparing to quit the film just before it started production but whereas a lot of whereas a lot of films that got affected in there in that time were able to kind of reposition themselves the problem with the bond franchise is 
when they announce a date, they intend to stick to it, unless you're no time to die. <laughs> I, I'm amazed. I mean, that's when I knew COVID-19 was going to be serious. Yeah. Not, not, the, not, not anything any politician has said on the news. Yeah. It was when, I, when Bond was postponed. I thought, oh, no, this is going to be, this is going to be awful. Yeah. <laughs> if, they're, if they're not going to play, if, if the Broccoli's aren't going to play their film, then the world is ending. But no, uh, going back to Skyfall. Skyfall in 4K looks absolutely lovely. That's because of Roger Deakins' cinematography. It's, it's just lovely. It really is. I like presume Spectre is a similar level as well. I, I haven't watched Spectre yet. Um, I know it's a 4K master, so basically it's been mastered at 4K, so that means the disc is pure, is native 4K, because I think we were talking about it sometimes last episode. Um, it is a 4K disc, but the print of the film or the copy of the film they use to master the disc isn't necessarily 4K. It's either a 2K, just got a 2K, just kind of upped in resolution, which hmm. sometimes is absolutely fine, and you have you, you can barely tell the difference. But sometimes it's 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 noticeable, or it's, it, it just you, it doesn't feel as 4K as it should be. And it's it's kind of like sometimes watching um, uh, supposed 4K Ultra HD stuff on streaming. It's not because of bit rates and stuff like that. So sometimes it just it doesn't really feel like it's 4K. And I, and I got that a couple of times watching Artemis Fowl, where I was going. Some shots look okay. This is kind of 4K, and it's like this clearly isn't. This clearly isn't upscaled to 4K. This is like upscaled poorly. Would you Would you recommend an upgrade from the Blu-rays for the first two, Craig's? Um, I would say at this moment in time, not mandatory. Um, but Skyfall I, definitely. Skyfall and probably Spectre because they are native 4Ks. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's like Skyfall looks great. It really does, and it's like. When you kind of look between, because there there are some companion things on YouTube where people have kind of taken a screenshot of the 4K and put it against the 2K, you kind of notice very subtle differences. I think one thing I've noticed, I think sometimes it's the color tones are a little bit different, and that's either because of HDR or if it's Dolby Vision or it's the HDR 10. And we're getting very technical into this stuff again. It's kind of like maybe we should have a technical technical film <laughs> podcast about the joys of joys of different film formats. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, I would say in terms of the Bond Blu-ray, the Bond 4Ks at the moment, if you're going to get any of them at the moment, uh, get get uh, Skyfall Inspector. That's, it's, frustra- it's frustrating because they've released a nice um, complete Daniel Craig box set, but obviously mm. the, it is not complete because there's a Daniel Craig movie coming out at some point this year. Hopefully. At some point this year, hopefully now November. And if it gets pushed back again, I am going to just. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Myself. You're going to write a letter of complaint to your local MP. Yes, and say I I need Bond to come help me from the the climate of the world, please. Well, actually, talk, talking about release dates, what other is there any other any other updates? Because I do notice um um what, there do, do there does appear to be some films that are having dates dropped now. Yeah. Um. Right. So we're we're we're. It's a nice little vision to this little little small nugget of uh news. Now, obviously. Uh, cinema releases all up in the air because obviously cinemas are shut at the moment. They are hopefully due to open at some point in July. We don't know when. We don't know how. It's it's just that's the plan. Basically, ideally, we're looking at July for cinema openings. And again, to me at the moment, it sounds really weird. It's like, and I think it's just the whole whole flux of of releases all going all over the shop. It's like obviously it all started off with Bond, and then all the other films around the last couple of months have gone all over the place. I mean, some films have been pushed back all the way back to next year, like Fast and Furious 9 and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, with cinemas hoping to open in July, um, one of the big releases uh, they were hoping that would be like the champion that would come in and save the cinema for 2020, uh, Tenant. 
Uh, obviously, Christopher Nolan's new film. It was supposed to arrive on the 17th of July. Um, but Warner Brothers have had a little bit of a rethink a little bit and they've decided just to push it back two weeks so it's coming out at the very end of july now so is that is that possible well if, if there are no other films competing or no other films arguing for slots at the moment it it, see, it seems a lot of the studios are kind of trying to be flexible with one another that's my that's my general sense looking at all this kind of release date shift around um because at the moment now the the first main new film that should come out when cinemas reopen um is disney's uh, reimagined version of mulan that is due to arrive on the 24th of july i completely forgot that was in production well well it was be- it, it was supposed to be out at the end of march for for easter holidays and all that stuff and then yeah cinemas shut down and it got pushed back um so basically tenet goes to 31st of july um a nice little a nice little thing for all fans of inception is if cinemas open at that time uh warner brothers are doing uh special runs of inception because it celebrates 10 years and it's like really it's 10, 10 years, years old Bloody hell. Inception, inception was the first film i watched in imax Mm. um and um it was a surreal moment just adjusting to the sheer scale i'd never been I hadn't realised just how pathetically small every cineplex I'd had engaged with my entire life was. My life was changed that day. I became a man. Mm. Like, yes, it was the, and the rest was history. <laughs> the rest was history. <laughs> For the benefit of all society. Mm. Um, it's that, that incredible opening shot of the, um, the water crashing on the waves. I, I, just, I think I, I recall having a slight panic, just thinking, am I about to drown? <laughs> Are you in a 4DX screen? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> That's when they would have been firing water out of the front, the seats out of you. I've never done 4DX. I would like to do 4DX. It's just trying to find the right film and thinking, am I going to regret being in this screen? Oh, gosh. I can't think of the right film for it. You'd... What, what maybe, film no, maybe, the... maybe No Time to Die? I don't know. No, no, no. No Time to Die should be IMAX because they've definitely filmed stuff in IMAX for mm. No Time to Die. So probably not No Time to Die. If anyone, if anyone's actually done a 4DX um, showing, do let us know because I'm, I'm genuinely curious of how those presentations are. There's like the effects distracting, or because it's, it's also it's um because it can be a 2D presentation, or you can also have it in 3D as well. So I think it'll be more distracting in 3D. So stuff like Jumanji, I can imagine being very distracting in 3D because you'll have all that. You'll have the things, the chair rocking left to right. You'll have all the smoke and the water being flung at you as well. I mean, I, I hate. Um, when I'm watching a film, I hate being reminded I'm watching a film. Mm. Um, I, I want to escape in the film, and unless it's unless it's like the filmmaker does like particularly clever, and I can just go, aha, ah. <laughs> ah, I see what they did there. Like some of the, some of the cuts in uh, the in Jaws, I thought, oh, that's very clever, Mister Young Spielberg. Maybe, maybe uh, the best way the best way to probably approach 4DX is if your film is the equivalent of a roller coaster ride, then put it in 4DX. If it's yeah. not, don't. So I, I know this hasn't happened, but say, for example, the period drama like Sense or Sensibility <laughs> <laughs> or Pride and Prejudice. It's like, Mr. Darcy, we're going for a ride across the Glen. And he just, the chairs are not going up and down like you're riding a horse. It sounds more like Wuthering Heights, to be honest. But it's just, yeah, it's just like, you, know, you just have, just have, just have the, um, as you go in, like with most um, really cool, um, it's like, especially for American theme parks like Disneyland or Universal Studios, you have that sort of uh, theming as you go in and then you have like the mini brief of how to handle the ride. It's like, now we're going for a ride with Mr. Darcy across the Glen. So you need to make sure you're strapped in tight 
Put your arms and legs inside the vehicles at all times. And also, don't forget to look out for slight puddles, because you may get wet. <laughs> anyway, where was I talking about? Yes, we're talking about cinema release dates, because everything's kind of gone up in the air. We have Wonder Woman 1984. That was supposed to be releasing in cinemas on August 14th. But obviously, with Tenet sort of coming in at the end of July now, I think Warner Brothers want to avoid uh, clashing the two films at the box office. So they've pushed it back to October 2nd. But to be perfectly honest, I think I think at the moment with a lot of these films, if people people don't mind waiting at the stage, they understand why these changes have happened. So it's not yeah. A, and I, I I'd, I'd gladly wait. It, de- it depends on the film. Yeah. Like, and we said this before. I'm I'm more than happy to wait another year to watch a, a, an epic Nolan um, film because Nolan makes films for the cinema. Yeah. Like a lot of the films we've reviewed that have dropped on Netflix. I mean. Um, <laughs> Well, was anyone ever going to go um, to the local um, Cineplex to watch um, Coffee and Kareem? So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of release dates being shifted around, it's I'm it's like I'm not surprised. I'm not that upset about it, to be perfectly honest. I think it's understandable that the cinema, these studios are trying to get the most income back from their films because, obviously, at the end of the day, if these films don't make money, we're not seeing some for a while. No. And that's and that and that is the that is a cold hard truth about the situation and and it's not just affected cinema it's with most it's with practically every business in the world or something like this they need to find a way to bring in revenue post post lockdown post pandemic and if they can't then certain studios certain types of films and stuff like that they're in considerable amounts of trouble. No, mm. I mean like, I I I'm I'm very much of the school you know art makes life worth living. Mm. And um, if you know we need these these forms of expression to survive, um, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about cinema. Mm. Uh, not the, not at the point where it, it will cost human life, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, if, if if things can be done sensibly and we can be reintroduced, I mean, maybe maybe cinemas have to enact social distancing. Say limit limit twenty tickets a screen, or I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing ideas about. Well, I but, think uh, I think what cinemas like View try to do. Uh, just before shutdown really did come into place, was I think they were kind of making sure there was an adequate distance between seats. So, for example, uh, you would have one seat and then maybe two seats you can't sell, another seat, and so forth. Or, or maybe it's one seat sold, one seat isn't one seat sold, and so forth. And they just kind yeah. of do it that way. I'd, I'd, ima- I'd, I'd imagine sporting events are going to go down this route. Maybe. It depends. It depends when, it depends when things get... Are eased further. I mean, it's like again, it's like the, all this stuff is saying, "Oh yeah, we're going to do this in July. We're going to do this in August." Like, well, great. Well, how how do you propose this is going to work safely so we can a enjoy, we can enjoy the the events and the films and that we go and see, but also b do it in a safe way so we don't have a a a, a, a resurgence of of COVID nineteen cases and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that I think that that is obviously the big challenge for cinemas at the moment is they. Obviously, when they open again, obviously they're going to show films. They're going to make sure they they show everything they can to get the audience back in, but they need to do it to a degree in which the audiences feel safe in doing so. Um, I I'm still of the impression that I think I think the the tier of what actually releases at a cinema soon might actually change because of the whole sort of home release things. Because it's like certain films they have been absolutely tailored to be released at cinema uh, to be released at home. So it's like we've we've looked at certain films like that. So it's like Bloodshot, for example. It's like I imagine Bloodshot would find an audience at home more with um, home entertainment and home streaming than cinema. I can't. Well, yeah, I, it, it felt it felt like um, ten years ago it would have been a DVD release movie. 
or yeah. a film that found itself on DVD. Yeah, yeah, in, in some in some cases like that. So it's, I think I think a lot of things are still going to change with cinema, in a way. Um, obviously, your big tempo releases, MCU, DC, Bond, um, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Nolan, that's still, Nolan, it's still going to be at the cinema. Yeah, that, that that's absolutely it. Right. But I think I think some studios will probably be now quite open i mean universal were quite open to sort of releasing stuff on home entertainment and home streaming much to the annoyance of cinemas and we've covered that in a, in a previous episode um so yeah it's gonna it, again it's gonna be very interesting it's gonna be very it's gonna be very weird but um no hopefully hopefully by this time next month we have a clearer idea of what on earth's happening with cinemas mm. no mm. absolutely and um i just um just can't wait for the day where all this awfulness is over and I can watch my sexy Christopher Nolan movies in peace. Uh, anyway, as always, we would love to hear your thoughts on uh, the topics we discussed in news. So share your share your opinions about the shifting release dates, the cinema world post-COVID-19. Do let us know what's on your mind. Email us at filmraw at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Anyway, let's move on to a film review and we've done enough skirting around it. Let's talk about it. Artemis Fowl, here's a clip. We want to know everything about the man they work for. The man. Oh, oh, oh no. This isn't about the father. This is about the son, Artemis Fowl. You've grown strong, son. And smarter than I ever imagined. Then take me with you. You're all I have now, Artie. There's just one very important thing I have to do. Authorities launched a worldwide manhunt for the famous collector. He is suspected to have been behind some of the biggest robberies ever. Dad. Hello? Your family has taken something of great value from us. Return it to me or I will destroy everything you love. You weren't supposed to see this yet. Your father is in a complicated profession. For years, he has protected powerful secrets that have kept mankind safe from the dangers of another world. It's time to face your destiny. So yes, Artemis Fowl, Disney's brand new blockbuster, was supposed to be at the cinemas, got sent to Disney+, and it tells the story of young Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy who's hunting down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father. That's the synopsis in a nutshell from what we have here. Um, but obviously there's there's a lot more to it. And the way we're looking at this film, there, there are two points of view of this film. Uh, I'm approaching it from uh, someone who's not familiar with the books. So it's like sometimes with book-related book related adaptations, I might not be well-versed in the actual books themselves. So I, I approach it as a kind of a clean, um, open mind. So it's kind of like I, I, I am looking at this as a film, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Christian, big fan of the books, aren't you? uh was <laughs> was oh oh no oh no <laughs> no no, no. I, I, the books the books are great the, the first two in particular are fantastic and mm. um um i guess I, i'm really i'm generally fascinated to know what your take on this was because this was not artemis fowl um by any it, it it's, it's artemis fowl in name only mm. i did not recognize anything from the books in this aside from the magical races and the the magical the magical world um that that felt very that felt close to the books for me but the characters 
are not and the the plot is um almost entirely original um mm. it, it's it's very strange to me this is this is it's almost as if you remade you remade Harry Potter and got rid of um Hogwarts that's Ooh. that's the level that's the level of strangeness in terms of the the choices made in this adaptation Okay. So I I would I I'm I'm genuinely fascinated fascinated to know what you think whether or not because if this film is coherent and entertaining for a non-fan of the book then it might have been the right call to make these changes but yeah. as as a fan of the books I've been left utterly alienated. Mm. So so my my question to you is Ian did you enjoy this film? <laughs> so, I enjoyed it for the wrong reasons. Oh. Uh, but then again, but then again, I'm saying uh, again, I, I'm not saying I enjoy. I, that's kind of a stupid statement for me to say because this is not a good movie. This is not a good movie in the slightest. And um, no, no, I, I, I shared on Facebook uh, my initial thoughts, and I said there's a reason this went to Disney Plus um, because yes, as as we were as I introduced the film, we we were talking about obviously this was supposed to be at cinemas. This was supposed to be at cinemas right now. But it didn't I, happen. I can't imagine this making any money in the box office. I think word of mouth would have killed this within a few mm. days. But uh, here's the here's the thing. It's it's quite clear Disney were looking to try and build a new franchise out because it's like obviously a lot of their their current franchises are kind of of petering out or kind of diminishing returns have really hit it, like Pirates of the Caribbean, for example. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can I can imagine why they want to do Artem's film. I can imagine why they would have gone for that book series because they're going. You know what? This is a brand new book. So this is not necessarily a brand new book series, but this is a book series which could have legs. It could have legs at the cinema, and there are several books, so we can have a couple of films. Yeah, that should about be eight books, fine. I believe, off the top of my head. Okay, so yeah, I can imagine Disney execs sitting here, sitting there, and just going, you know what? This could actually, if we do this right. This will be our nice little new franchise that we can tout around. But the, but here's where the problems begin. It's it's quite clear that they want to do a franchise, but they've gone about it the entirely wrong way. They basically, uh, I'm I'm actually going to bring up a list. I actually um, I actually drafted up a list of all the young adult book adaptations that had a film. It went to cinema, but it never got a sequel because of different things. So uh, I've got a very bit of a list here. So we've Go got so we've got things like Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. We have Mortal Engines that came out I think last year, Mortal two Engines? years ago. Peter two Jackson, ago. epic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I am number four. Uh, the original Golden Compass, uh, The Darkest Minds, uh, The Home for Peculiar Children, uh, Aragon. There was the weird. Sort oh of gosh, that yeah, was yeah. dreadful. Yeah, uh, we have Tomorrow When the War Began. We have The Darkest Rising. We have Cirque de Freak, The Vampire's Assistant. We have uh, The Host. Not the Korean film, The Host, but a different film that had the title The Host, which I know very little about. So don't chase me down on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, no no, fish mutants in that film at all. No, 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 not at all. Um, also, Disney tried this before with John Carter. No, John- John, yes, John Carter. And I, I loved the John Carter novel, um, the the A Princess of Mars, the original novel, is incredible. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, you you read that book, and it's a hundred years old. That book, and it screams film adaptation, mm. even from the even from the nineteen twenties. I think it was either twenties or thirties. But mm. it, it scree- It's like it's like the author knew that there would be a, a huge blockbuster cinema yeah. fifty years down the road, and, and Disney the- screwed it up because they decided. Do you know why John Carter didn't do well? Because they left off the words of Mars on the title. Yes. 
because they were afraid of the because um, Disney released a film called Mum ne- Mars Needs Mums. Mums, and that was a bit of a train wreck. That was a train wreck, and Disney, in its infinite wisdom, thought, mm, "What went wrong with this film?" Ah, the word Mars. That's what alienated people. Not the horrendously hideous CGI and the truly ugly aliens and like that yeah. put people off. Mm. Um, oh, so we're going off a bit of a tangent, but yeah, yeah, this is um this is a frustrating thing. There doesn't feel any place for organic, um, organic, um, an organic building of of, of an audience for anything. Yeah. I mean, like the, the, the genius of the MCU was how organic it, it felt. Whether not, I yeah. mean, obviously, obviously there was there was intention behind building this huge, this huge um, cinematic universe, but you didn't feel that way going into Iron Man. No. And, and even in the first four, four or five films that are clearly leading to this huge ensemble piece, they didn't feel like um, it didn't feel like you had to watch the previous movies to get involved, and, yeah. it, it, and it, it didn't feel forced. I mean, that that was pretty much the problem with, as we've discussed before, the problem with the DC's approach mm. to its cinematic universes. It was, um, it was, it was, it was telling audiences what to watch. Yeah, um, it was, it was, it was trying to force something. Um, Going back to literature, that how people forget how organic the rise of popularity the Harry Potter novels were. Mm-hmm. They, 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 children discovered them, and that popularity grew um, from the base upwards. Mm. And then, and then you found the media was obsessed with finding the new franchise, and it was it was so artificial. Like like Twilight, the Twilight novels. Were, mm. I do not believe they were as popular as people think they are. And the fact that they they no longer resonate in in popular culture compared to the impact of the Harry Potter novels. Um, mm. d- I feel like that, that opinion's validated. But, um, um, but yeah, going back, going back to my my initial re, my initial thoughts of this is a, this was clearly Disney's attempt to do a franchise, but yeah, it, it doesn't matter. The 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 thing with that list of films I've just read to you, the common thing with all these films is they weren't critically successful, they weren't financially successful, and there's no crossover audience. And the, oh, and I and I, I say crossover audience in terms of. It's not just kids that are enjoying these films and enjoying the, the, the original books and the content. It's the adults as well. And you touched that on the head. You, you touched on that um, when you talked about Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter has an incredible cross appeal across children, young adults, adults. It's like, it's like hey, it's like I'm, I'm 35 years old and I would like to go to the Harry Potter studio tour. I would like to go to the Harry Potter rides in Orlando, Florida and stuff like that. I like the films and it's not because I think they're too childish. I think I, I, I engage with those films and I enjoy those films and I can approach the films as an adult and go, you know what, this is actually not bad. Well, they're, they're multifaceted. Like, they, 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 it's very much, I know we talk about The Simpsons a lot. The Simpsons mm. is the same. The Simpsons yeah. works on several different levels, which you'll get different things out of it depending on your age. But there's something mm. for everyone. Um, yeah. There are other, other examples. The Shrek movies, although, although obviously the quality diminishes over time, the, the yeah. Shrek in general does cater to everyone. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why Shrek was so successful. Um, and, and again, the MCU. You, you could be a five-year-old kid and enjoy those films as much as, as like the, your, your dad or your mum next to you, you know, as the, or yeah. even your grandparents. Star, yeah. Star, Star Wars, again, Star Wars is universal. Um, yeah, absolutely. When, although I was bitterly disappointed in the last movie, the, the best thing about seeing Star Wars, I saw it with my whole family. I was there with my mm. siblings, my mum and my nan. And like, um, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a multi-generational thing. And I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, it's it's frustrating with Artemis Fowl. That it definitely it feels as though it's 
decided this is a film for children mm. and it's going to condescend to children. It, yeah. it, it feels that the movie doesn't, it, the movie is not prepared to give children the benefit of the doubt that they will understand what's happening. Mm. And this is the most um, exposure, um, not, sorry, not exposure, the most exposition I've ever dealt with in one movie. Mm. Virtually every line of dialogue was explaining a character's background, their yep. motivation, uh, <laughs> who they are, where they're going, etc. Um, mm. And on top of that, we had a narration that lasted the entire film explaining everything that was happening. I mean, it was, it's worse than the original cut of Blade Runner. Because at least with Blade Runner's original cut, you know, you know in Blade Runner, the, the studio insisted that Harrison Ford record um, yeah. expositionary dialogue to, um, as a narration to explain to the audience because the studios weren't confident in the audience. And thus mm. Harrison Ford famously just phoned it in. Um, yeah. yeah and, and, and Ford and Scott were proved right because the director's cut that strips it away is a they're far better, far better experience. Mm. Um, children are clever. The children understand yeah. these things, right? And um, actually, just a side note, the worst thing about the narration, and we'll talk about this in a moment because I'm sure we'll talk about the acting. The narration is, is provided by... Um, um, Josh Gad. Uh, Josh Gad, thank you. Who, who I'm only really familiar with as the snowman, the snowman from Frozen, Olaf. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's playing a character with a rough a voice. So he talks like this all the way through the film. <laughs> and imagine, I- ma- imagine that voice for the entire 80 minutes explaining to you what you're seeing with your bloody eyes. Like, it's like, you know, it's strange because it flips the shift. So the film becomes, it's not Artemis Fowl's movie. It's Josh Gad, who is a dwarf's movie, who is telling you about Artemis Fowl, even though he's telling you about things that he couldn't have possibly known because he wasn't there. It's that, it's it's, it's true what I'm saying though, isn't it? It is. I've just said a pod that's like, you're right. <laughs> everything, because it's not just, he's not playing the narrator. He is narrating the film through in character, but he is unaware of all the events he's describing. I, well, I It's like, maybe there's just another layer to the film where he's just sat in the writer's room and he's just, he's just got a pat. It's like, because he's got, he's got that deep raspy voice. He's like, oh, it might be, he might be someone who smokes a lot. He's just got a serious like, Yeah. Oh. And there's this kid, he's called Artemis Fowl, right? And, and, and he's like a young prodigy. He doesn't like anyone. And he has a dad who's also called Artemis Fowl. <laughs> and it's, it's such a strange decision to have this character narrate the movie. Why not? Why not if you're going to be condescending to your audience, if you're going to say, right, we made a film for children and they're too fit to understand the story, we better have a narrator. Let's do it. Get Artemis. Get Artemis Fowl to describe the story yeah. for his perspective, like, or, or get, um, or get Butler, or, or even mm. Holly, who Holly the mm. Elf, um, you know, a character who's actually a, a main character because Mulch, who Josh Gad plays, is a side joke. He's he's in it in the, in the he's, he's there for comic relief. Mm. He, he's, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that in a little. <laughs> yeah, bit, I'm, I'm I, 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 I just, I just, tangents yeah, I just. I'm, if I do, I'm just going to finish my thought process on, on this sort of Go initial it, thing. So obviously the thing is when you look at completed movie adaptations of books, ser- successful books here. So you look like Twilight, you look at Hunger Games, you look at Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, even the Maze Runner. Maze Runner is one that's crossed the line recently because they've done all their free films based mm. on books. The fact is all those films had a decent crossover audience. And basically on one level, yes, could be for kids, could be for adults, but there was always that complete universal. I remember working at cinema and the first Hunger Games came out and the first week, 
uh, yeah, you get you get the you get the young the young the young kids coming. The kids are familiar with the books, wanting to come and see the film because it's twelve a. It's all it's all it's all popular and successful. But then the following weeks, the film continues to do well because it's not the kids that are turned up for this; it's the adults. Yes, and they're selling out the evening shows at nine pm. You look at things like Pixar. Pixar, for example, majority of Pixar films now, or even the big hitters, they were successful because they had that crossover appeal and they could sell out a cinema throughout the day. Toy Story could sell out a cinema throughout a day. Uh, Up, or even Wally, or even The Incredibles and stuff like that. Well, it's not just The Incredibles because the, yeah, it might absolutely like the Incredibles. Simpsons, your, your age determines which character you latch onto. Mm. So when I first watched The Incredibles, I, I probably had more in common with the kids. Mm. Then when I watched Incredibles two at that age, I had more in common with the parents. Yeah, and like um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. So. The, the whole thing about all those films, and especially the, the movie adaptation and stuff like that, is they create the world, and they're not rushed to creating the worlds. They create the worlds organically in the film, and people buy into that. Audiences buy into it. Even if you're not familiar with the books, you buy into it in, in some degree. And that's why these films were successful, and that's why these films were able to see the end of their adaptations. The list of films that I, listed, I, I said a few moments ago, none of those films managed to do that mm. it's like they're, they're, it's like even even the closest one that even that almost finished was divergent divergent had three films they were supposed to do a fourth film but then the studios went nah we'll just try and cram an ending into the third one and we'll just call it quits so they tripped up on the last hurdle basically yeah yeah pretty much and that that <laughs> that to me is the serious problem of artemis foul you are trying to create a new fantasy franchise you're trying to bring new audiences into this world and the film does an appalling job of trying to build this world because it's uh, it's like last week last episode i was talking about the last days of american crime being too long this is this feels to me personally too short because it's like you need you need to flesh out these things you need to flesh out why we should care about artemis because quite frankly i couldn't give a toss about artemis <laughs> well the, should, we, should we talk about the artemis fowl character start to start because yeah yeah of course, of course. This, this is the biggest problem artemis fowl is the villain and that's that's the joke in the first in the first book at least he is explicitly the villain he is a parody of the james bond villain archetype and mm. the twist being is he's a 12 year old boy mm. and that's that's funny now obviously it's you you know that he will soften up and you know as, as he begins to his his values are questioned and he becomes he eventually shifts to being anti-hero to protagonist over his journey and that's fascinating to watch that's really mm. ex- and that's what i was really excited to see because the hero of the first book is holly the elf um and um, and Butler to an extent. Butler is more of a he's more of a, a background character. He sort of comes into his own throughout the book and then later on. But it, the focus is always on Artemis, and you're not meant to like him, but you find him compelling. He is he has a charisma and he is really interesting. Like um, in this adaptation, they've decided to scrap the character entirely and create a new one who is basically a strange hybrid of Harry Potter, Alex Rider, and Percy Jackson. Um, yep. I, I was aghast at the opening sequence. The opening sequence of Artemis Fowl, he's surfing. And if anyone's unfamiliar with the books, so I, I see Ian's just having a breakdown from it. <laughs> it's just like, right, was it strange seeing him surf to you? Yes. Because he, he, it's he, like, why is he surfing? Because even you, who's not familiar with the books, realise this kind of character shouldn't be surfing. In fact, in the books, he is explicitly anti-athletic. Like he, and, the, and just seeing him this way, it's like, this is exactly how that dreadful Alex Ryder movie, the one from about 10 years ago, 
Yeah. Not not the new TV show. Not the, the new TV, TV show. show the, one, a... the one with Mickey Rourke in, um, I can't remember the name of it. That's Stormbreaker. That's, that's it, Stormbreaker, thank you. Yeah, he, he's on a bicycle in the beginning of that and he's, he's shown as like incredibly athletic. Where Artemis Fowl uses his mind and his Machiavellian cunning to get what he wants. I mean, in the book, he, the book opens with him kidnapping Holly and effectively torturing her mm. um, in order to like unleash the secrets of the fairy world. And his plans are evil. He wants to... He wants to blackmail the world um and of course again it's, it's a bit of a spoiler for the books but he, re- he realizes you know the error of his ways to an extent and he slowly becomes allied with the fairies yeah um the fairy kingdom and um, and, the, and the elves etc um and it's it's fun this artemis fowl he he already he's they, he, they've given him some scenes from the book uh which would work if he was that if he was that villainous character who would enjoy seeing but it doesn't work if you want to make him a harry potter-esque hero Mm. um he just comes across as odd a bit of a contradictory figure that doesn't really doesn't you can't relate to at all no um and i i i I don't want i just i don't feel comfortable criticizing child actors um, because I mean, I, like, I love I love the Harry Potter films, but they they are a bit ropey in the first few, and they get better. And by the end of it, they're yeah. perfect. That's that's just you know that's more of a reflection on the directing. It's to be it's a nice sense of growth. Yeah, exactly growth. Um, Ferdia Shaw, who plays the young Artemis Fowl, I, I, I imagine this is his debut role. I, I, I feel like he's miscast. He's either miscast or he's been badly directed by Branner. Uh, mm. We haven't even mentioned the fact this is directed by Kenneth Branner. Yep. Like would. <laughs> But we'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, yeah. This, Artemis Fowl is not Artemis Fowl. And the whole point of Artemis Fowl is that he is a villain. And that's the mm. joke. So they've removed the joke. It reminds me of uh, Terry Pratchett used to talk about this. Um, he, the nightmares Terry Pratchett had in trying to have his Discworld novels adapted, especially yeah. like, like places like Disney. Uh, one of my favourite um, Terry Pratchett books is called Mort. And it's about a, uh, a teenage boy who um, is, he fails to make it as an apprentice for, you know, the butchers, the, um, the ironmongers, or, the, you know, the usual sort of medieval um, career options. And, um, and Death decides to take him on as an apprentice. Mm. Um, and it's, it's and Mort, obviously, French for Death. Uh, Terry Pratchett was, like, stupefied when um, he was asked to adapt if they could adapt Mort but remove this deaf character because it would be too depressing. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it, it, oh, it, the classic ones as well. It's like Faulty Towers. Every time they, it, there's been attempts to remake Faulty Towers but remove Basil Faulty. Um, they have managed to do it in America because it was called Pain. Um, <laughs> they actually did it. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I remember watching one or two episodes. It only lasted like seven episodes and basically yeah. they tried to... They tried to adapt as much of the episodes as they could, but then, yeah, people just didn't care. Oh. Even even if John Cleese went, yeah, it's all right. But no, it's, it's, it's strange. Why would you buy the rights to a book to adapt and then strip away everything that made that book special and unique? Now, I, I'm, I'm, I understand when it comes to adaptations, you have freedom for creative license. And mm. I, I love the Lord of the Rings films, but they do deviate from the books. Mm. And I, I think the deviations of the books make sense from a cinematic perspective. Because I think I've, I think they do this something similar with the Bourne film. The essence of of the the story of obviously Jason Bourne losing his memory and stuff like that 
but they just they just take that premise and then just go right we're going to expand it and we're going to build our own world and that worked pretty well for at least three and a bit films i, I guess it's i guess it's free free and a bit absolutely I, I guess it's i guess it's a question of when it comes to adaptations i look for them to capture the spirit of the books not necessarily yeah. the letter of the books yeah um and here they've just disregarded everything is is artemis fowl in name only um, and it's so strange because the, the books just, if you read the books again, they scream adaptation. It mm. feels like Owen Colfer has written these f- in order to sell them to Disney. And I, I, I think if they had just kept it, kept it close to the books, um, you, you could make a few changes here and there, do you know, depending on whatever Kenneth Branagh felt oh, that yeah. day. But if you keep to the core of the stories, this is a guaranteed hit. And because it's the idea of a 12 year old boy being the most evil genius on the planet it's hilarious it's, 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 kind of very, like, it's kind of like dexter's lab territory here like. or even family guy even Stu, even yes from family guy but obviously not that no, adult not, not, not adult theme no but it's it's, yeah. it's it's again it's the it's the juxtaposition between these two ideas um mm. which makes it work so well stewie is hilarious the idea of a sweet innocent baby being this mass murdering genocidal maniac is genuinely mm. quite funny um and it's it's not just artemis Fowl. Every character is is different um, mm. from the book version, and not for the better. Um, uh, I, I feel, I, I feel ho- Holly short to an extent. Yes, I mean there's, there's other problems as well. Um, Butler is a delight in the books. In this, he is very different, and I've um, I, I can't quite put my finger on why. Um, but I, I think the problem is in terms of the casting. Um, they've, they've made some strange choices in terms of um, uh, in terms of the um, the uh, the race of the characters. Now I'm going to put mm-hmm. my hand up and say we're, we're two white guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's like this this is not our area of expertise at, at all. Um, yeah. But I, I I will say it was very strange because in in the books I've always read Holly as being um, black. Um, in fact, her skin tone is explicitly described as being, um, um, I believe they, he uses the phrase nut brown. Mm. Um, but in, in this film, she's white, which was a bit strange. And, and Butler, to me, was always explicitly uh, Eurasian, um, sort of like either, either he, he certainly come across as white and Eastern European, you know, kind of Russian-esque. Yeah. Um, but he's been he's been cast with um, Nonzo Anuzi, um, who does he does a fine job, and I, it's, yeah. just, it's great to see him because I mean, I I loved him in Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, he he plays that I can't remember the name of the character, but he's the, he's the villain in series two, the one that sort of like tries to trap um, tries to kidnap the dragons in series. Um, I'm not going to go too much into Game of Thrones because I'm still bitter about how that ended. But um, mm. the the problem of the butler in the books, he is nameless. He is mm. a servant of Artemis, and he is just pure muscle. They've they've changed the character dramatically for this, and I look at researching into it, and it, the um, it, it's it's obvious why, and it makes complete sense. Yeah, to cast a black actor to be a a nameless servant character who does nothing but obey the orders of a young affluent white boy would be problematic. Mm-hmm. And um, I completely agree with that. I, 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 we would not want to have such a, a, a dehumanizing presence being the only major black presence in this kind of movie, especially when there will be so many families and young people watching it. So of my course. question is, <laughs> why not just why not just cast this character with a white actor and keep it close to the books? And maybe I mean Artemis Fowl could have been played by a, a young black Irish um, person. Like um, it's it's it's. There are opportunities for like um, 
more inclusivity throughout this, but they've made some straight like like changing Holly White and 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 create effectively creating a new character in order to sort of avert this strange problem they created themselves. I I just do mm. not understand these these decisions they've made. Um, I, I, again, the, the the butler of the the butler of the film is fine. He's but he's he's just a generic character who's 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 nowhere near as funny as um, mm. as he is in in the novels. I mean, um, a case in point. In, in in again, this is spoiler territory. In the novels, Butler um, is the one that defeats the troll um, towards the end of the movie. He gets into he wears a medieval armor, walks up to the troll, and smacks him out and becomes a legendary figure. In this film. Um, Butler kind of just he gets beaten up by the troll, and yeah, he get yeah he gets beaten up by the troll, and then the way the this sort of bizarre over edited sequences end is I think the troll falls off like a chandelier almost onto poor Artemis. Butler dives through, pushes Artemis out the way, and gets sat on by the troll and practically almost dies. Yeah, until you know magic. It's, it's it's a complete disservice to the character, and again, it's, it's yeah. you read that scene, and I remember when I was reading that scene, I thought this would be such a great scene in a movie. This this would mm. be so good to see Butler kick this troll's ass, and it's just mm. the, the the character, the new character of what's his name is Domovoy is the name of the character. Yeah, Domovoy. Domovoy, yeah. which is another thing as well. You're not meant to know Butler's name. It's which is a running gag, and it's frustrating because as Artemis and and Butler's relationship develops over the books, he becomes more of a far, a a, a paternal a legitimate paternal figure for him and yeah. watching that relationship and that growth over the i say watching reading that relationship develop is very satisfying here mm. it's just slapped straight away and mm. um actually you know you a good point you're talking about if this is meant to be setting up a franchise all the important emotional beats that uh, come throughout the novels are slapped in the first book oh <laughs> and I, I'm just like, well, what are you going to do if you came around to actually doing a second Artemis Fowl movie? What would you do? Because this uh, this film this film nitpicks bits and bobs from the first two novels, mm. mishes them up, mishes mashes them up randomly. Uh, you're right, the editing job is atrocious. This is a, a, for a film that looks as good as this. For 100, you could tell 150 million dollars went into the um, art direction, but the editing uh, yeah, is I'll, atrocious. Uh, I, yeah, I'll put my hand up. I like the production design of this. Yeah, I, thought, I, I, love I thought certain I love... bit. I thought certain bits looked really, really nice. It's just, it's just the action sequence, um, or I'll put it in inverted commas. The action sequence where you've got Artemis and you've got Dumavoy. They're outside. They're on. They're outside. They've got shades on. They've got their little mini weapons, and they're taking on fairies. That is edited to absolute butchery, and it's like, oh, we'll just speed it up. Like it's like, oh, it's so fast she can't see what's happening. It's like, no, you couldn't. You couldn't film a sequence, or you couldn't properly structure a sequence. So you just have whirling circular camera shots going around the two of them as they're taking down fairies left, right, and centre. I don't. And it, and it I just, don't understand this. Have you? One of my favourite Kenneth Branagh movies is Henry V. And yeah. um, I do not understand how the same Ken, Henry V and Artemis Fowl have the same director. I do not understand that. And this Kenneth Branagh was just phoning it in, like just to make that Disney dollar. Again, again, is it is it just is it? Well, again, it's like you could look at it's like the probably un, unanswered questions here is like was the production was the production rushed? Was it was kind of just? But then again, it's like this has been pushed back before. I well, mean, this has been in development hell for twenty years. 
Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine Owen Colfer is just glad to have a film of it at last because mm. he's, he's been doing some interviews and, it, and it, he hasn't been critical of the movie, far from it, but it, it did feel like he was being more polite than enthusiastic about the, the, the changes. I mean, I could be wrong. That's just how I, 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 that's how I interpreted his, his yeah. um, views on the film. Um, and another, again, going back to casting, Josh Gad as Mulch Diggums. Mulch Diggums is, is, is like, it's meant to be Kind of like the, a fun, like earthy dwarf. You know, again, a, a more Terry Pratchett esque character. Yeah. Um, casting Josh Gad as this role is so strange. I, I I don't think Josh Gad has enough star power to justify being thrown into this position. Um, and he, mm. he's just really badly miscast. I mean, the fact that he's got this strange faux Irish rough um, accent all the way through it is, as, as I said before infuriatingly bad um but there, there was it's it, the question is the question i have to ask you is who has the worst gruff accent in the film is it josh gad or is it judy dench judy dench she okay terribly miscast i do not know why judy dench is playing this character now, I, I didn't mind again talking as i was talking about earlier about um you know um uh, inclusivity in movies it's a fantasy mm. I, I i don't really mind you know uh, if we have like, if we gender swap some characters to get more actresses yeah. on, on screen and things like that, uh, it, it's it's fine, you know, as long as they as long as they're cast right. Um, but I don't understand why Judy Dench. <laughs> so they they made a big hoo ha about this character being um, gender swapped because in the in the novels it's it's the stereotypical um, burly sort of like you know the chief inspector. You know, the no nonsense chief inspector. Oh yeah, like the chief, like the chief in any sort of cop. Exactly. I mean, yeah. even in the books, I mean, he, he chomps on cigars. I recall and things like that. Mm. So I've, I've been, it was, I was, I was a bit gutted that they were, they were gender swapping the character because I, I, re, I, again, I love that character. But when I heard Judy Dench was cast, well, oh, that's interesting. Uh, they, you know, they made it. They may do something nice and new with this. I'll be I'm looking mm. forward. She's just playing the same character, and I'm just like, well, what was the point of that? <laughs> it's it's like the- it's like it's like even more gruffer M. Yeah. With, a, with, with an Irish accent and just it, it just it, just it, gurning it, angrily at things. Judy Dench jumped from cats to Artemis Fowl in the same year. I mean, like this was not, not a, a good year for Judy. It was not a good year for Judy Dench. I mean, she probably doesn't care the amount of money she's made. And like, no, she's she, got her Oscar. She's fine. Yeah, she, I mean, she, yeah. Um, but it just it felt like a, a weird imitation of the original character. And like, oh, what was the point of car- of casting Judy Dench? Like, um. I don't know. I'd prefer to see someone like Clint Eastwood play the character or something oh, like that. Oh no! Wow. I was I was thinking that when you were talking about, it, I was thinking this sounds like a Clint. It's just, you can just imagine Clint just kind of going and just kind of looking somewhat deterred that fairies are interrupting his day. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. And um, but so yeah, Judy Dench's casting it was it feels wasted. It feels. Now, something you mentioned to me um, in the run-up to us recording this episode, um, Colin Fowle, this character doesn't have a presence in the books at all. Obviously, he's in the back, he's in the background, but you never ever see him. No, he's a shadowy figure, and um, yeah. it's frustrating because all the crimes he commit, he's responsible for the crimes in the first book. I mean, yeah. sorry, in, the, in this film, when mm. they're actually his son's crimes. So oh. what they've oh. done, they've yeah, they've repurposed Artemis Fowle Senior. In order to make Artemis Fowl the second more innocent, again, as I was saying earlier, trying to turn him into this generic hero, um, and it doesn't work. Again, Artemis Fowl has changed; has gone from being 
evil criminal genius to, oh no, my dad's kidnapped. I'm sad. I'm going to cry for the entire movie. And it's just, it's nauseating. It's nauseating. Like, it's just, I don't don't understand. I don't understand what they were thinking. I mean, yeah, Colin Farrell, he's just, he's there. He's there. Shot his foot. He's apparently shot his role in three days. I'm amazed it was three. It wasn't three hours, to be honest. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's totally superfluous, um, and it, is, it feels like it's just been sh- it, they've, restru- they've repurposed that character to in order to help their new version of Artemis Fowl, who has nothing to do with the books. Um, mm. And again, I will put my hand up and say, if these changes were good. I would be fine with the. With the like, yeah. I, I am happy. I'm not one of these people that moans at at, at the changes of adaptations. You know, it, it makes some changes make sense. Yeah, you're translating a piece to cinema. It's not going to. You know, you don't want to just read out the book. Like, you don't. You don't want to do what you don't want to do. Zack Snyder and just like film no. the comic. Well, no, <laughs> no, you, 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 no. Just get Josh Gad sat. Just get Josh Gad sat on a on a bar stool. Just one solo spotlight on him. <laughs> just read out the book as an unabridged audio book. Like. And uh, I'm dressed up as, uh, as Diggums again and just kind of go, all right, gather around. I'd rather have the bloody snowman. Chapter one. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, God, Olaf. Hello, everyone. Hey, I wish it was summer. Olaf. Chapter one. Olaf was a delight. What Josh Gad is doing here, I've no idea. Like, who? who I'm sorry to go back to this. Who ca- casts Josh Gad as the hard man? Like and, and it's not even done for laughs. It's just like it's so strange. But um, oh gosh. Oh. And another another thing is that the the, the real villain in the series is is a, is a fairy, is um, an elf. Sorry, I keep getting fairies and elves mixed up. A fairy called um, an elf called Opal. Um, mm. and she's kind of they they set her up as the shadowy real arch villain immediately. But it's done. Mm. Her voice is just as bad as well. Actually, Opal's voice is dreadful. It's just like someone just read some text. Someone just did a voiceover and then they just put it through like a bit crusher. <laughs> Christian is almost spat did out da- water. <laughs> did, you da- did they download a dialogue from LimeWire back in the day or something? Like- and put it through bit crusher, add a few DJ effects on it. There you go. There's a villain. DJ. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Every- it's just, I, I just, I don't understand. There were so many. The thing about this adaptation is like it's it's not a case of one or two weird decisions that have like have, have ruined ruined the movie. Every decision has ruined this film. It's 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 so bad on so many levels. It's, uh, again, all you had to do was follow the book and maybe spend a bit more time thinking about the casting choices, like. Um, yeah. And they've got they, they've gone about every decision in such a strange backwards way. I, do, I, I don't understand how they've got to this point because again, I'm, these are not incompetent people. They thought they weren't. They, they, I, I didn't think these were incompetent people making this film. Like, I, 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 I genuinely, I, I, when I when I heard Kenneth Branagh was adapting Artemis Fowl, I thought amazing. <laughs> and now I'm just like, oh, poor young naive Christian, what a fool you were. Or maybe Kenneth Branagh had to finish up so he can go off and do Death on the Nile because that's supposed to be out sometime later this year. I believe it's in um, post-production, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah, it was all filmed before everything started locking down. But the <sighs> fact is, the fact is, Murder on the Orient Express was a really decent box office success. So mm. obviously, uh, want to capitalise on that, don't they? Yeah, they want to capitalise on that a little bit. So maybe he he was pulled away. 
again, there's so many sort of questions about how did this production happen? Because it just feels like this doesn't feel like certain elements. It feels like you feel like this was rushed. This was butchered. This they, was they all over the place. They had 20 years, mate. They've mm. had 20 years to make this film. They've had yeah. the rights for two decades, and this is what they give us? Mm. Uh, you do, actually, remind you, do you remember... Have you ever seen those dreadful comic book movies that studios knocked out to keep the rights to the yep. properties? Like, it it like, kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like this is what happened at this rate. Yeah, you know what? That might be the possibility. I mean, it's pure speculation on our part, obviously. But yeah, obviously. It, feel, it feels like that dreadful Captain American movie from the nineteen and uh, the early nineteen nineties. Yeah, um, I think didn't. I think didn't. Um, well, yeah, I think that was one of the reasons why Fox did their critically reviled uh, reboot of Fantastic Four, just to keep the rights. Just to keep the rights. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But um, no, it's but, I, I, I'm with you. I do not understand the decision, the creative decisions that have gone into this adaptation. I, I, I think this film will be held as a benchmark for bad adaptations, adaptations. regardless of the genre. It's just, mm. it's just it, it, the breathtaking. It feels more rather than rather than intuitive, clever um, tweaks in order to make this product work on the big screen. It feels like a bunch of really arrogant, stupid people have decided, oh, we can write it better. Yeah. It reminds me, it reminds me of the episode of Simpsons where, uh, this is the one with Neil Gaiman guest stars, where basically Homer and co decide to create the perfect teen book <laughs> so they can make millions. So they hire, So they hire people like, they hire Lisa to help do the general writing. They hire people like um skinner to help sway the educational board and stuff like that and it's kind of it's done like a complete oceans 11 style thing they even got andy garcia as a rival publisher <laughs> from re reprising his role from oceans 11 the remake and stuff like that so it kind of feels like they kind of tried to do we've got the rights to this film let's make a really good franchise started by committee and they all failed spectacularly because none of them knew how to build a world. Um, well, the, frustrating, yeah, my, the frustrating thing is like the, the world is there in the books and the books were huge. They were big mm. money makers. I mean, mm. they weren't Harry Potter level, but they were certain they were, they were like Philip Pullman level. They were like, they, um, so they didn't, they, they, they've put all this extra work into making something worse. It's just the, that's the thing I can't fathom. It's the amount of effort that's gone into making a bad film. Mm. It's 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 just if it was one or two things, like, like I said, I, I'm oh, man, everything, everything. I think I think my gem, my general feelings on the film is Disney tried wanted to do a franchise starter. This clearly wasn't going the way they wanted it to because sending it to Disney Plus was a very big warning sign. Yeah. Because it's like, if Disney were really into this film, they would hold off sending it to Disney Plus and wait for cinema because they've done that with Black Widow, they've done that with Mulan, and yeah, you can, you can argue then, why did they bring Onward on early? It's like, well, it was at the cinema at the time. They were they kind of had to cut their losses and go. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was unfortunate time because I think, yeah. I, I think Onward would have been a, a bigger hit if circumstances were different. Yeah. If, uh, Dis if Disney had genuine faith in this film and they genuinely believed they had a good film under their belt because they clearly knew they didn't, they would have held it off. They would have held it off and they would have sent it out to cinemas when it came out, when cinemas were open again. Well, I um, mean, this film cost $150 million, so they had to get it out in one form or the other. But I'm, I'm, yeah. Because it, 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 this... Again, I, I cannot imagine this making money at the box office. No. I think I think Disney knew they were going to be laughed at the cinemas with this. 
and and they would lose money and it would just be a very public failure so they've got, so they've they've saved face and they've just sent it to disney plus so basically they i mean the fact, the fact of the matter is i don't understand in this in especially with artemis fowl how on earth disney think they're going to get the money back for artemis fowl i mean obviously you can look at netflix netflix will get their money back because obviously they they got big subscription numbers yeah subscription numbers so of course they don't mind they don't mind well, they don't mind giving a film on a platform for like set for seven, twelve quid a month, depending on which platform, which, uh, plan you go for. And if we're being honest, the, the films we've reviewed, even the ones we've enjoyed from Netflix, are yeah. so cheap compared to this. Yeah, in terms of like what we're talking about twenty million dollar budgets compared to um, yeah. This, this is a, this is a major money. This there's more money was spent on this than the Matrix. And like, yeah, <laughs> that 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 is just that's just the damning comparison. Like, um yeah i um i think we're, we're going around in circles i think we've just our frustrations but yeah bottom, bottom line on my side it is a shockingly bad attempt to start a new franchise um there are bits that should work nice i liked the idea of the premise i it's like the premise is there it was it's a good premise but they just they just failed spectacularly with this and it's like, I don't know why I should be rooting for characters. I don't know why I should be rooting for Artemis. Like I said earlier, I, I just didn't care. Um, yeah, he's Good, got the... Question. Do you actually know what the plot was about? Uh, he was supposed to learn, build himself on the learnings of his dad to find a mystical item and save his dad from possible death. That's, what, what was the that's, item? Uh, the Aquilox? The Aquilix? What the night, what, the what, night quill. What, 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 what does the item do? <laughs> well, it looks like a giant acorn or a small handheld acorn. But what which what does it, it do? Good question. <laughs> Why did anything in that film happen? Good question. Isn't that? Isn't that, I, I have a lot of complaints about this film, but isn't the fundamental problem that the story just doesn't make sense? Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's, it's really kind of, basic structural problem here like yeah i don't know <laughs> shall we just get to a star rating and get this over and done with oh one star yeah i'm i was i was torn because like i said it's like the, the plus side of it is um plus side of it i think to me was yeah it's short it's 88 minutes so that's Did it feel short? The... Half an hour in, I thought I'd been watching ten hours of Soviet-era <laughs> expositionary cinema. For God's sake, I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm. It's like when I when I look at the arguments I've made of this film, and I and I and I, it's like when I watch this again, no. Would I care if another film came out? No. Um, well, this is really frustrating for me because, again, as a fan of the books. I've been desperate for you may you may have gathered that I've been desperate for a film adaptation of this for a long time. Mm. There ain't going to be another one now. This no. is this is it. Dis, first of all, you've got the problem of Disney have got its claws into this property, or should I say, mice's teeth into um <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> and, and that there ain't no way Disney are getting um, like giving up the rights to this franchise because there's there still be a part of that. You know, Disney is just gobbling up everything. Even though it doesn't know what to do with the things it's gobbling up, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's going to have to bloody know, regurgitate some things down the line. Hopefully, horrible yeah. image there. Take the mouse to the vomitorium. Uh, <laughs> oh god, you're going to have to edit that out. 
Oh, don't. Just I, make our listeners feel I think feel I threw up inside. <laughs> oh, look, it's 20th Century Fox. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, D- Disney are not going to drop the rights to this because there, there'll be someone who thinks there's still potential. But they're going to yeah. blame... Well, Disney are going to blame the books on the failure of this project. They're going to, Sounds fair. They're going to, they always, they always, they always do. You always find a really ridiculous reason for why their projects don't fail. They never, they're, mm. they're not self-reflective at all. But um, mm. and it's, it's infuriating. I mean, I saw some people post like, "Oh well, well, hopefully we'll get the ten-part Netflix TV series, like, um, like a series of unfortunate events." Um, you know, that, yeah, but that 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 took nearly fifteen years to happen. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna. I think Artemis Fowl. I, my instincts tell me that this is gonna fall out of the cultural zeitgeist, and that in, mm. in twenty twenty thirty years time, I don't think they're gonna have the same resonance as say the Harry Potter franchise. Um, yeah. they, I, and that's a shame because I think they would have if this film had been good. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. I, I think I'm just gonna have to accept it's it's it, it, it's done. It's not gonna improve. Hell, I'll always have the books, but yeah. So, if you're a fan of the books, avoid. If you want cohesive cinema, avoid. avoid. <laughs> if you want a generally good family film, avoid. avoid. Like, absolute oh, yeah. waste of time and effort. $150 million for that. Well, that's, that's criminal. And with that, Artemis Fowl gets one star. Can we give it zero so, stars? <laughs> no! We have, it's like there has to be at least... America system here. So like we just say, oh, you know what? I don't want to give it a star rating. I'm just going to walk out. Disgusting. <laughs> it's worse that... than coffee and cream. I'd rather my, I'd rather my like seven year old nieces watch that than this. <laughs> and I'd be banned from babysitting if I ever showed them that. So that's 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 how angry Artemis Fowl's made me. Uh, and on that bombshell, we're going to bring this episode to a close. Oh, <laughs> so angry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully we, we can recover in time for the next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed our conversation on Artemis Fowl. Um, we would love to know what you made of the film. So do get in touch. Filmroyatbunkazilla.co.uk is the email address to send all your comments, your feedback. And uh, yeah, if you, if again, it's like half the time it's like, we don't do this as the kind of set just to, just to kick a film while it's down. They're, generally reasons why we do it's like we do not like this film but obviously film is subjective people there are people out there who will like this film and probably enjoy this film and nah, if you want not it, this one uh, but then again if you're if you're someone out there who's watched artemis Fowl and you've liked it for what it is do let us know your thoughts do let us know your 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 reasons why because yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to know and, uh, and that's the thing and again it's sort of it's a nice way building discussion and engaging with you our lovely listeners but until next time thank you very much for listening to film world once again uh, i've been ian bolton and i've been joined by christian r allen goodbye goodbye and now it's time for a stiff drink <laughs> keep stay safe keep it cinematic <laughs>